Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Law, the Law Careers podcast for students at King's College London. I'm Caroline Lindner, one of the careers consultants for the Dixon Poon School of Law, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Liz Barrett, and let me tell you a little bit about her. Liz studied law at King's as a mature student, graduated in 2019. She was a Dixon Poon undergraduate law scholar and received the Jelf Medal for her year, the most prestigious prize King's confers. Prior to this, she had a protracted period of illness which curtailed her life, including her education and career. But since her recovery in 2014, she gained the necessary qualifications to attend university and undertook various work experiences, including vacation schemes and mini pupillages. She also interned at legal charities, in-house and at a legal tech company, as well as spending a year working in HR for a FTSE 100 asset management company. Liz qualified as a solicitor in 2022 at law firm Mishkon Dorea LLP into their family team, having trained at the firm. She regularly mentors those both inside and outside her firm and is an active part of the firm's social mobility committee. Liz is a keen advocate for those with untapped potential from underrepresented backgrounds reaching their version of success and founded a blog with this aim in mind, Silks in the City, providing advice from everything from applications to well-being. And I know we're going to return to that theme of social mobility and diversity throughout our discussion, Liz, but thank you so much for joining me and welcome to Let's Talk Law. No, thank you for asking me. <laughs> So my very first question, and obviously mm. I've given a bit of background there about your personal um, circumstances, but why did you decide to study law and why did you choose to uh, study at King's? Uh, law was never particularly on my radar when I was little. It was it slowly grew inside me, um, I, I think, based on the experiences that I had when I was um, when I was unwell. I very much. Um, was exposed to a lot where people didn't really have a voice or they couldn't advocate for themselves, um, including myself. And I think um, those experiences really reinforced to me how important it is when you're in a, a you know a situation where you really you know you really should be able to speak about what you need and what you don't need and what you want and how you're feeling that there is someone there who listens and can be your voice mm. and this this phrase kept coming back to me um giving the voiceless a voice and it's something that I <laughs> said so much and people are probably sick of me saying but it became really really fundamental to actually who I was and I knew that this had to be central to my career going forward and so when I very, very happily recovered or was in recovery and realised, okay, I now have a life myself. This is amazing. What do I want to do with it? Who do I want to be? How do I want to live? And how do I want to use this, you know, this precious life that I now have? And I kept coming back to that. So even actually, I remember this lying in my hospital bed thinking, I'm going to get better. I am going to get better and I'm getting better. I linked that to I think I want to be a lawyer. <laughs> um, I definitely didn't want to be a doctor. But I think for me, being an advocate and being a lawyer, that's just it's synonymous. Mm. So um, so I very, very quickly, even before I had been discharged, was I was convinced that being a lawyer was was for me. Um, and then it was really once I'd once I'd left hospital, um, realizing obviously there's there's quite a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. At that point, I had 
managed to scrape through three GCSEs, I had nothing else. Um, I was 20, 24 when I left hospital. So um, I thought, right, I have to get some qualifications. I have to try and get to university. Um, and it was a bit of, it was a struggle for a couple of years. Uh, I was still recovering as well physically and, you know, emotionally in the world, mm. <laughs> in the shiny new world. Um, and um, I kind of fast forwarding through those to, to, to kind of, and that, that's why law. Um, why Kings is a much more simple answer, but again, slightly airy-fairy. Um, I, um, I had applied to university once before, um, early on in my recovery, and didn't really get offers from places that I, that I was really excited about. Mm. And I thought, look, I'm only going to go to university once mm. in my life, probably. Mm. Um, I want to go somewhere where it's not just I go in, I get a degree, I get out. I wanted to go somewhere where I was really excited, where I could thrive, where I could experience the whole range of, of activities and experiences that the university offers, not just the academics. Um, and so I wasn't excited, um, particularly about any of the universities. So I thought I'll apply again. I applied to King's and I got um, I got an offer, but I think for me it was going to the university and I just felt at home. That's all, mm. that's, the, uh, that's the main thing that I came away from. I just felt it was the right place for me and it felt yeah. like home. Mm. Um, and that was, that was a feeling that I can't, I can't encapsulate any more than it felt right. Yes. And, and I think also the, you know, the experience of applying was as a mature student, as someone who very much doubted my own potential. Mm. Um, I was very unsure of whether I was ready to go to university. Um, I was very unsure of how I would cope and whether I had a place in this in the in that world mm. and I think then having received the the Dixon Poon scholarship I was so sh shocked um and I still kind of have to pinch myself and I think that was almost as a, a seal of approval uh from you know the powers that be that yes. okay we feel the same way about you as you feel about us. It felt yeah. like a mutual, you feel it's right. We also feel you're right for us. And there was that lovely recognition of each other. And mm. I felt things believed in me and saw something in me that I didn't at that point. Yeah. And that's so important, isn't it? To have that belief from people around you and whether that's from tutors, uh, family, friends, quite often when we don't believe in ourselves so that that's incredibly powerful thank you Liz and I, I do know there will be some students um, or graduates of Kings who have had a, a challenging route like you have um, and I'm sure that's going to uh, you know ring true with them for much of what you said so thank you for being so honest and sharing sharing um, your story with us so let's talk about your time at Kings um, mm. what were your academic highlights Liz? Um, so this is quite a difficult question for me to answer because, as I said earlier, I think for me it's really, really hard, and no pun intended, to divorce, as what we're probably going to talk about later, to like, it's, it's very, very difficult for me to separate my experience at King's into 
this was the academic side this was the social side that you know I, I, it's so hard for me it's all like it's all bundled up together and apart from graduating which is definitely an academic highlight and I still look back oh it's only a few years ago but that was that was the highlight of of all the highlights because it was a culmination of everything that I, I just never ever thought I would graduate and I think when you go to university you're not necessarily thinking about that end goal you're just especially with law you're kind of trying to take every every day as it comes mm. and you know I still remember I still remember exactly who I was sitting with exactly what I was you know feeling even when I got my degree results I remember exactly where I was what I was eating even <laughs> um, um, so apart from that I, I would say for me it was all of the opportunities that King's offered and that as a student I really really found myself and found mm. my own voice actually you know and again going back to the whole reason I wanted to be a lawyer was this giving the voiceless a voice I myself was in a as you know a state in my life where I was also finding my voice and yeah. I felt things really gave me opportunities that I could never have imagined in my wildest dreams even mm. when I thought about going to King's that I could do you know meeting people who are at the top of their profession mm. being taught by people who have literally written the book yes <laughs> you know yeah. their names are on the book I mean I have right next to me in my bookcase you know academic textbooks by tutors that I had mm. um um, that I still that I still look at and think gosh how lucky was I. Um, I know you were very active particularly with law related extracurricular activities so tell us about some of those experiences perhaps you know one of the one or two of the most memorable experiences if you can pick them from all your activities that you because I know you really threw yourself into academic and extracurricular life didn't you? Yeah absolutely um, I mean again I feel like some of the most um, the most memorable experiences are also the most terrifying. <laughs> um, and I mean that in the nicest, but like exhilarating and scary. Um, and I think I, again, something that I really try and reinforce to students when I speak to them is university is such a great opportunity and space to learn and test and grow your own skills. And I even say it now to myself, actually, if there's something I'm a little bit nervous of doing in terms of a task, um, I think, right, I'm the first, the next opportunity that I have to to test that out, like maths, maths is not, <laughs> maths is not something I'm super comfortable with. Numbers is just not, not my thing. So anytime there's anything to do with numbers at work, I'll be like, right, yeah, I'll stick my hand up and I will, I will try, you know, try and, um, um, develop those skills so I think for me a lot of this a lot of the things that I enjoyed the most really stretched and challenged me so mooting competitions was a great one um, mm. I was pretty convinced that I was going to be a barrister before mm. I went to university hence all the mini pupillages and so for me I was like you've got to have done some mooting but it's really scary um, and especially the meeting at King's, you know, you are not, 
you are not, uh, your opponents are not faint-hearted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are not underprepared. The judges are often professional judges mm-hmm. <laughs> or they are very experienced barristers or very experienced academics. They are sometimes your own tutors. Um, and I think as a as a training ground, um, mooting was brilliant and I had some incredible opportunities and you know that's just in terms of internal um, competitions as well as external competitions Mm. at King's but my other you know other other really fantastic opportunities came from being a little bit cheeky and um, getting work experience and and especially some of the mini pupillages that I um, that that I was lucky enough to, to do and you know you being you know, going into the, the the court cells or going into prison cells, but people who, yes, um, had had definitely been had been accused of not very nice things. And and you know, you're thinking, I think I always felt at the time was, how do I? How am I feeling in this? Is this mm. something that I can tolerate? Mm. Have I? Do I have the emotional skills as well as the intellectual skills to navigate this? Is my level of of comfort? going to grow or is mm. this something that I just can't do so with yeah. you know with with mooting um it you know I've got much more comfortable with being on the on the back foot with not knowing all of the answers knowing how to respond knowing mm. the you know the court formalities and things and um you know it's the same thing being in a being in a courtroom environment I, as mm. a solicitor now I, I'm I, we are often having to be in court it doesn't matter whether you are a barrister or a solicitor it, it, it every little helps yes um and you get so much from all of those experiences how did you approach exploring careers you'd already mentioned uh, at, during our conversation this that you had thought the barrister route might be for mm. you but but what else did you do to explore um your careers and your career opportunities I would first of all I always I always say when I again whenever I speak on anything like this or whether I, and I speak to any students I always say don't do what I did <laughs> do what I say because um I wasn't the most um yeah I, I, I I'm not what I did was not is not probably not the blueprint that you want to be <laughs> mm. recommending to all the students and alumni and things but um because I had I didn't I don't think I used King's career service ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you're, you're forgiven. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> you're with um, us now. It's okay. Exactly. I've come. I've come full circle. Um, and and I think and and I don't know why that was. I think again, I I because I went to university as an oldest can older student. And I had a very fixed idea. I was like, I'm going to be a criminal barrister. I'm going to be a criminal defence barrister. So it was even more specific. <laughs> and I'd been very lucky and I'd um, managed to get a couple of mini pupillages with criminal um, defence barristers before I went to university. Um, and um, and for me, that just was like, it reinforced, yeah, I love this. This is fantastic. This really excites me. So I came to university with the blinkers on um, and was very much muting the bar society, all of the, you know, the um, going to all of the um, um, inns of court and going to the dinners. And, and, and I did all of that in my first year. And then after my first year, 
and I, I didn't I, I didn't even know names of solicitors firms I really shouldn't be saying that but <laughs> um but I didn't you know I knew some of the big ones but I didn't really it was a it was a language I just didn't speak yeah um, and there's no and, reason why you should have known them. I think that's important because even now I see students who are very far on in their degree or indeed have already graduated. And I'll say, have you thought about this type of firm or have you heard about this firm? And they'll say no. And I think, well, there's no reason why you should know. There are so many organisations out there. Um, but of course, the ones you tend to hear whilst you're at university, the ones that come on campus. But of course, there are many others that don't come on campus, but they still recruit people. So, again, I think that's an important message for us both to push out there. Oh, ab- absolutely. And, and I hope I hope we'll, you know, we'll come on to speak about kind of how to, you know, if you're unsure about your path, how to kind of approach that, because, yeah, I definitely think and, and, and me and me being hopefully not too honest, but <laughs> pretty honest about how fixed I was and then where I've ended up. And I am very, very happy. And this is exactly where I want to be and should have been. Um it gives people hope that you absolutely can change your mind and um, actually it's really, really valuable. And and I think that that's the thing um, that I realised. So after my first year of university and being definitely having the blinkers on, I went back to work for that FTSE 100 company. They very, very kindly had me back um, in just a purely legal capacity during my su- my first summer and effectively your in-house it's it was very commercial in fact it, we were prepping for GDPR to come out right that's <laughs> it was, a busy busy time to have been in an organization anywhere actually absolutely and it was such a fantastic experience and I found I was bounding out of bed in the morning I was really excited about the work in fact they extended me so I worked there a little bit longer than than I'd planned for the summer and I I suddenly had this realization of well if I'm this excited about this and I've never considered being a solicitor I've never considered being in-house I've never considered commercial or, or corporate law what am I doing I'm wasting my my university experiences as as, mm. as well as these the, you know this precious time that I have to really just try as much as I want like that's really what university is about I I think um it's a gift yeah <laughs> um and and you're allowed to you know take a bite of one thing and think oh no that tastes disgusting and put it yes. back and you yeah. know and think oh I haven't tried this or you know it's a real like sweet shop mm, <laughs> that's mm. certainly how I but that's how I probably view life so um anyway but um um so so I very very consciously took the blinkers off and um, one of the solicitors at um, at that company said to me, "There's this event happening. You have to apply to it." Um, I think it was it, it was with Bright Network, and mm-hmm. it was called something like the Future Top 100 Lawyers or something. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a, a careers event, but you had to apply to it and send in your CV and do you know um, do a process. Um, and it was an opportunity to meet lots of the top firms um, and them to meet you and I applied I thought why not I applied got got through um, and went to this event and that's actually where I first met Mishcon right and I and I remember coming away from that event and thinking oh my gosh 
I this I just I have to explore mm. being a solicitor I can't get to the end of my university experience and not have tried out and tested this and really really thought about how I feel and and I always say go with the excitement and go with the energy if you're really excited and, and energized by something go further into explore it mm. so it that's a really long explanation of kind of how I approached careers it mm. was pretty for me it was very organic it, yeah. it started out as a very rigid this is what I want to do and so that's what I'm going to do and I'm not going to think about anything else um, and then it very, it quite quickly actually turned into this much more organic, um, me responding to people or things or experiences and seeing how I felt. And for me, that worked for some people. They need the spreadsheet. They need yes. to go to all of the events. And I did go to a couple of open days um, at, at, at other firms as well as at Mishcon. And for me, every single time it reinforced this is an op this is a potential mm. nothing I'm hearing nothing I'm feeling makes me unhappy or uncomfortable yes. or like I'm not going to have a fulfilled career mm. um so I just went with it and and here I am I had a lot of volunteering opportunities as well so one of the questions I get asked a lot is, well, you know, how do I make this happen for myself? Or is it OK to approach people? And as I said earlier, there is a way of approaching people. You know, the idea is to not spam them on LinkedIn. But I just wondered if you have any sort of top tips that you could share with our listeners about, um, you know, what, what could work or what works for you? Yeah, um, really good question. But I've actually not thought about verbalising before. Um, so bear with me. But um I think I think one of the key things for me if I think about me being approached by someone by a student by someone yes. interested in Mishcon which which happens a lot mm. um is genuine interest yes you can really you can really tell I think if someone is genuinely interested in your experience of of being at the firm or your experience applying or your experience at King's um and the firm itself and the work they do versus someone who's just like I just want you to just give me a job yes yes <laughs> um, just put my name <laughs> just like just you know um um I did I I I think that is really important and it's important on written applications as well mm -hmm. um where your where your passion and your interests and your commitment comes through and I think so that that's really important is rather than thinking oh what can they do for me mm. think well actually I'm really interested in what they said about I'm trying to think of an example okay here's an example so that 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 event that I talked about earlier the Bright Network um, event mm -hmm. there was a recruiting partner from Mishcon who spoke he was on a panel with other and he still works at the firm I actually worked with him on my training contract it was mm -hmm. a very bizarre experience thinking oh gosh yeah I remember a few years ago <laughs> yeah I was in the audience um, watching you yeah exactly yeah. exactly and now I'm here it was it was really lovely actually um but I, I remember, you know, and he was he was sitting on this panel and everyone was kind of giving fairly 
usual responses to to pretty usual questions and he said um i think he was asked you know what kind of do you look for in a candidate and he said look if someone comes to me and they're a um you know a gamer and they game um 12 hours a day from like 2am to 2pm and then they don't really do any work but you know they kind of get where they need to go you know how would you you know like actually how would you kind of he was asked like, how would you feel about this and he said do you know what I'd love it <laughs> <laughs> they've got you know they've got an interest they're really committed to their in their interest right they game for 12 hours a day they could probably work pretty hard for me yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He talks about this and he was like, we don't want, and I remember this so, so, um, so vividly. He said, we, we at Mishcon don't want people to self-censor. Yes. And um, I think that's so important. So, you know, it, and, and that goes both ways. So if you're, if you have, hurt, like, and I remember speaking to him about this later on, and that was a real hook. So he, clearly knows I'm interested because I've listened I'm engaged I'm not asking him about his CV or particularly sucking up to him in a really obvious way um but it's a genuine point of interest for me as well and he clearly you know enjoys talking about that so I think if you can find something that they've said that you that you that echoes with you um then that's a starting point for conversation you don't always have to talk about law you don't always have to talk about their career mm -hmm. you can say oh I mean I don't want to say talk about the weather but you know if you've been at an event where you've sat down for dinner why not talk about the food or yeah. you know uh, it, it's it's just getting that little that starter conversation yes. going um and then going from there also just being as I said being a little bit cheeky um and saying, look, I know this is, I know this is a bit, you know, maybe not the done thing, but I'm absolutely fascinated by X, Y, Z, um, or what you said um, mm -hmm. earlier during that talk, I just can't get out of my head. Um, mm -hmm. Would it be, is it at all possible if I could email you and maybe arrange to go for coffee with you? Mm -hmm. If not, completely understand. Mm -hmm. And then fine. And then you've, you know, the worst they can say is no. Yeah. And then you're like, OK, I can move on. Um, so that's in person. And it's a very similar thing on things like LinkedIn. It's, you know, what has this person said on an article? What have they what are their interests? You know, it's 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 building that rapport with someone and not just thinking, what can I get from you? Yeah, um, I, I think yeah. that's such a critical piece of advice. And thank you so much for talking in depth about it, because I, I know that's going to help a lot of our, our listeners. So, fast forward mm. to the training contract. Uh, the, the relationship of Mishcon obviously grew and ended up with you getting an offer there. So tell us about that training contract period um, and, you know, how you decided that you wanted to qualify into the department you've ended up in. Um, yes. So, yes, I got a training contract um, and... Um, I think for kind of context, so I started in, in my cohort, we started in in um, August 2020. So um, right in the middle of, you know, pandemic and um, we were in and out of lockdown um, for much of the first 18, actually probably much of the, the entire 
um, training contract, which definitely shaped. So does that mean you were in and out of the office as well as the office was getting? Because I know that they were opening up and then having to close back again across the board. So that must have been quite disjointed, actually. But I guess everybody was in the same boat. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So we were so in and out of the office, in the office a very, very, very short amount of time for my first seat, so for my first six months, so from September to March, so yeah. September 2020 to March 2021, and then pretty sporadic um, later on when we went back into lockdown. Um, I think, um, yes, everyone was in the same boat and um there was a kind of camaraderie in that mm. um and at least you, you're not like well everyone else is having this amazing experience and yeah. all of you know it just um and, and again because I guess we were kind of lucky in a way because we never knew anything different yes so yeah. so it wasn't like previous cohorts who would have had a a year in solid in the office and then suddenly they're um or six months in the office and then suddenly they're kind of ripped from from what they know and their routine um so so that was kind of the the, the background to it and I definitely think that that did influence and I'm sure my fellow trainees across firms will say that absolutely did shape our training contract experience and you learn a lot through osmosis and just being in being in the office environment a lot of people also will never have worked in an office yes um before so they're not used to being in that environment and I do think there is something to be said for you not having had that 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 exposure um but um uh, but yes, yeah, so so my so I had four seats of six months, and my first seat was in corporate. My second was in real estate litigation. My third was in family, and then my fourth was in reputation protection. Um, and I think each of those seats hugely informed not only where I am but also the lawyer I've become and I think something really important to stress and which I stress to people um, you know who are going through the process or thinking of going through the process is even if you're in a seat where you think pretty quickly actually this this isn't this isn't for me or you think you know before you start the seat this is never going to be an area that I will practice try and park that because you will gain so much more if you're open and you will learn skills that uh, that will transform you as a lawyer and will then shape you and make you a much better rounded lawyer it, mm. it, it's just never going you're you're never not going to get something from it that's positive mm. regardless mm. of you thinking this is my future so I think come third seat family was absolutely Absolutely on my hit list. I think I asked to go to family every single, <laughs> every single time. Um, I was, it was, it was very, I was, it was like top of my list. So I think um, by that point, I'd had my undergraduate experience being taught by incredible people who actually I have met in the wild since. Yeah. Um, um, and it was, it, you know, and really, really enjoyed it from an academic perspective and it very stimulating. Um, and then thought about it in practice on my LPC. And then coming to my third seat, I understood that you're not expected to really know anything when you start your seat. It's okay to feel a little bit at sea. Um, 
I was in the office a bit more and I really had kind of found my found my legs in terms of felt, felt really part of Mishcon um and again I come back to this really felt like I had a voice yes. um I think that's one of the things that Mishcon do exceptionally well is they really value you it's not you're not just a trainee you're you're very much insulated because you have incredible supervision but they have no qualms with you take you know you really taking things forward and being proactive and getting stuck in and for me that was an absolute joy and it's one of the reasons why I decided to train at Mishcon was because mm. they treat you like a grown-up they expect you to be a grown-up and you are given incredible experiences and and um and responsibility from the get-go mm. and that really really works with my personality and I like being challenged um mm. And for me, family was such that, you know, was such a um, both an emotional and an, an, and an intellectual challenge. Um, and that's what I need. Um, um, and um, so for me, it was it was it was mm. absolutely the forefront of my um, mm. of, of my mind. Um, and I think and lots of people, Liz, will know. They'll think of family lawyers as somewhere you go to when, sadly, you're getting divorced or there might be a custody issue with a child or you might be going to get your will sorted out. And quite often we think about people going to a high street firm. Now, Mishkan is not a high street firm, let's be clear. Um, so I just wonder what types of work do you get involved with as a family law expert at a firm like Mishkan? And what types of skills do you think are really important? Um, and you talked about people first a lot, so I suspect that is a lot of it. And your personality, I suspect, really lends itself well to the work you do. But I'm just wondering to bring it to life for our listeners a bit more. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, we we don't do wills as family lawyers. That's that's more our private client team. Um, but yes, it's it's entirely people focused and. Um, if you think it's not the way I the way I view it is it's not just it's not just taking apart families or reshape helping people reshape their families so yes exactly like if someone's getting divorced they have children you have to figure out the finances as well as who is going to look after the children who's going to see the children how that all works you know down to even actually timetabling drawing up calendars of who's seeing you know the children when and who's picking them up so it's it's minute minute detail on that front but we also do family building so we have an amazing surrogacy and modern families practice as well so that's the really much more joyful um like helping people create their families so there's there are different sides to family law and yes certainly the our clients tend to be high net worth or ultra high net worth people. So um, they will have, you know, on the on a finance side, it will be tens and tens of normally tens of million. We're talking millions of, 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 of pounds of assets. Mm. And um, a lot of the time that money, if we're just talking about the finances, is tied up in um, very complicated trust structures or, you know, offshore accounts or you know it's it's it can be very very complicated on on a finances side and then you think about if they have children or even if they don't have children how 
is litigation going to impact on them on their day to day? And you as the solicitor are absolutely at, you are the front line, you are there to field correspondence from the other side. I don't love that term. It's really difficult. It's difficult. Um, <laughs> let's say the other side because everyone will understand what that means. Mm. You are there to field correspondence. You are there to write on their behalf. You are absolutely their advocate, their mouthpiece. You um, you are kind of there by their side, taking them through this incredibly traumatic yeah. and difficult process that can be very protracted it can be sometimes it can be years so and it's deeply 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 personal and emotional and I think what I had never appreciated before I started practicing was the amount of trust that a client has to put in their lawyer so it's it's to a degree I would never have considered you as you as someone's lawyer know especially when it comes to um divorce where you're dealing with finances and 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 children which norm would be separate um then separate proceedings um you know everything about their life you know you you see all their bank statements you know how much they spend on their food shop you know how their child has done in their exams you, you like you know everything about their lives Mm. so for you as a lawyer you absolutely have to be able to build a a very very quickly from the get-go that relationship of trust and confidence where Mm. that person can can literally open their life up open all of their emotions their bank statements everything all of their dirty laundry I mean it it's and now thinking about talking about it, I, I find it extraordinary that that someone is is able to do that. Yeah, it's an and enormous I'm, privilege. So I was I was actually going to use exactly that word. I do find it, and I know some people will probably roll their eyes and be like, "Oh, divorce lawyers, they just make money from other people's misery." But that's absolutely not what we what we do, and certainly absolutely not how we talk. You know, internally, this is it is. It isn't. It is a privilege, and it is also a responsibility because you are ultimately um, what we are trying to do is help um, our clients. And sometimes, you know, if you're dealing with children, they don't. They don't have often. They won't have their own lawyers. They yeah. are minors, and you, you have to be able to balance. Um, you know, your clients' interests and and think about what the courts what the court's approach will be what the judge's approach might be how Mm. the other side might might react it can get very aggressive and um contentious it can also be you know you know pleasant and I think your role as um as a lawyer is to make it as manageable as um low emotion as low conflict as possible and that's effect that's where we as Mishcon come in because we are um very experienced in that that kind of work and Mm. um yeah and it's it's it it is your responsibility to manage that process for the client as well and to make sure that they are comfortable and um as supported as possible throughout throughout the process 
Thank you so much for talking in so much detail about that, Liz, because you are the first person who is practicing family law that we've had on Let's Talk Law. And it is a real interest for potential future interest for many of our listeners. I know they're going to really appreciate, um, you know, how, how you've just discussed your job, um, your day to day, your reality <laughs> as well. Final question, Liz. Um, and this goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning of our conversation, which was about the importance of social mobility and diversity and inclusion. What would you say to a student or a graduate graduate who is experiencing self-doubt or low confidence about their chances of entering the legal profession or indeed their profession of choice? What would you say to them? Um, I would say I, I've been there. That was <laughs> that was me. Um, and. I always say if, if I can do it, then then anyone can, um, which is not very helpful. But I I think I have never spoken to anyone who on this kind of level who said, yeah, I've always been sure. I've always been completely fine. I've never had any issues um, with confidence or um, feeling like I belong or like I know where I'm going. Um, so I think it's normalising that, that doesn't make it any easier, I'm aware. You, you know, like I definitely didn't think I would be a lawyer when I was four years old. And when I said out loud that I wanted to be a lawyer for the first time, there was definite surprise and definite, we're not sure about this from people around me. And I wasn't sure, but I, gosh, I'm so glad that I, you know, stuck with it and 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 went through the wobbles and really thought about stuff and was really honest and was also really honest with the firms that were hiring at the time and showed my wobbles to them yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I've ended up somewhere that really values me really sees me I can be totally myself um and I feel like I'm a better lawyer for it. And that goes for people who have come from difficult backgrounds, people who don't think they have the, the qualifications that they should do, that haven't made, that don't maybe have um, the, the, the family connections or the personal connections to, to professions they want to enter, who think there are the barriers in the way. It's, I feel like those people are so, so valuable and they have no idea how innate yeah. how innate that that value is yeah. you know being resilient being able to to not take no for an answer being emotionally aware being able to speak to loads of different people from lots of different backgrounds it, it's it being able to manage you know um lots of different things at once and 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 life mm. and still and still mm. get up in the morning yeah that that uh, that you can't be taught and yeah. that I would much rather work with someone who um, who's been through difficulty and who um, who's come out the other side than um, than than not because they often have incredible incredible skills that yeah. I couldn't even <laughs> dream yeah. of. And that's the value of um, recruiting from a diverse backgrounds um, as, a, as, a, as an employer that's the value of law firms and other sectors putting so much work and time and energy into social mobility programs etc and they're not doing it just because they feel they should they're doing it because there's a a reason 
then yeah. it's important for the sector and it's important for their clients as well because clients are very diverse. It doesn't matter how rich you are, your backgrounds as to how you got to that level of wealth or the situation you're in or the company you've bought or whatever it is, they will be different for everyone, right? So I think that's a really important thing for us just to to note. Uh, no, ab- absolutely. I think you know the, the the phrase diversity of people equals diversity of thought is is not some you know buzz phrase. It I actually I do fundamentally believe in it. Yeah. And I think you know for just focusing on the legal industry, you know diversity of thought equals diversity of people people equals diversity of thought equals diversity of problem solving. Yes. Equals then also being able to relate to a diverse set of people. You know we also do a lot of pro bono with with you know which is which is just again another joy to work on Mm. um you know people who have absolutely no resources whatsoever so you need to be able to um make those people feel comfortable and 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 be able to problem solve in a in a creative and a different way and if you Mm. if you hire you know if like hires like you're not going to you're not going to be able to grow the business as well so even just from a a purely business you know like bottom line which I, I don't like to think of but unfortunately it's the reality <laughs> it is the reality you know it may it makes business sense but 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 from a client perspective if I again coming back to the the work that that the that, that I do it's being able to build that trust you know if, if I think about going into a solicitor's office and being like here's everything that's going wrong in my life here's everything in my life including all my whatsapp messages including everything that I've done you know wrong right whatever the good the bad and the ugly I would I would like to be able to feel like that person can relate to me and won't judge me and yeah you know and 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 so it's really important that that we do open the profession up and that we really look at people's potential rather than just where they've what school they've been to or what what you know degree they've done or what what opportunities they've had absolutely because i I for me I although I've been very very lucky um I it it has been it was a struggle and it it, you know um to kind of get in there (laughs) and 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 I was born pretty lucky um so I think it's yeah it's 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 on us who are now in the position that we are in um, to also help bring people in and um, pave their way. So that's that will absolutely be something that I will never drop and will always work on. Yeah. And I totally believe you when you say that, Liz. And before <laughs> I do let you go to get on with your busy schedule, um, I just want to remind our listeners that we'll be back soon with a new episode of Let's Talk Law. But in the meantime, And on behalf of our listeners, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been absolutely delightful talking with you. I could talk all day, but we don't have the time. And I would you would get in trouble at work if you were just doing this podcast. (laughs) Um, But thank you so much for your time. And I know we're going to see you back at King's in the not too distant future. Thank you so much, Liz. No, thank you, Caroline. It was a pleasure.